0: Welcome to Boots Off, Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business, a show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David, and I'll be your host for the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Boots Off Log On. Today we have another um, great podcast with a joint venture with Kelly from the Facey Group. And hi, Kelly.
1: Hi, David.
0: Today we have um, Ian Donaldson from Arabo Bank with us as our guest. Good day, Ian. Good day. How are you? You're good. Good. So um, I won't. I'll, instead of me giving you some sort of glowing bio, Ian, I'll let you give yourself a glowing bio. So <laughs> <laughs> um, can you, can you give everyone a bit of a heads up? So who are you and what are you doing? Where are you from? All those sorts of um, voyeuristic questions.
2: Oh, thanks, David. Yeah, look, um, Ian Donaldson, uh, I'm a, an internal appraiser uh, with Rabobank based here in Albany. I'm originally from farming background, grew up uh, on a farm west of, west of um, Mount Barker, uh, sheep and, and grain sort of history in, in that regard, probably more focused on the sheep side than the cropping. And pretty much spent from my time in, in from agribusiness at Muresk and then probably been in the in the agriculture industry ever since from that period and spent some time at home on the farm. And then been with uh, Rubber Bank for, oh, this is my 20th year with Rubber Bank now, uh, previously based in Bunbury for a short period, but most of the time it's been based in Albany.
0: Yeah, so a a long period of time and and in that time you would have, not only your background as a farmer, but you would have seen so many farms and so many farm businesses. Um, You would have had some really interesting learnings and insights in that time that you would have never got if you stayed on the farm.
2: No, that's that's, that's correct. I think that's one of the things, certainly um, even just the change from, say, a, a Bunbury to an Albany location and the type of businesses that you're exposed to, whether it be, um, intensive horticulture along the the strip near Mileup and and Bunbury, or or the viticultural sections of the southwest, or once you get over to to the other side of the the Albany Highway and you're into into the broadacre and and the big stuff. So yeah, no, it's quite a big variation out there.
0: And um, so. You know, it's um, great. Banking is always on the lips of every farmer. Um, it's probably occupies um, quite a big chunk of their mental space, especially this time of the year um, and in spring. But really, so what we're really interested, Kelly and I are really interested in and, and the listeners is your general observations on the market. There's been a lot happening in the last few years in the market, um, land pricing, um, interest rates, et cetera. So what are your general observations on what's happening in the market at the moment from from a bank point of view?
2: It's it's a challenging question in some ways because it's, I mean, it's we're almost expecting the unexpected because every every single transaction that comes up uh, tends to be higher than the last. We obviously it's been a common theme now for for not only a few months but but nearly a couple of years now with this this increasing trend in market and and the, the market doesn't seem to be behaving in any sort of rational way. The strength of growth probably. In we've seen in most areas, not all areas, say between thirty and and fifty percent in some areas in the last eighteen months, it's it's quite quite significant growth that's just doesn't seem to be abating.
0: So that's a really interesting question. So I'd like to follow up. So are you seeing a, a decoupling from I suppose the gross margins or productivity and land prices? Are they are they actually? decoupling in some way or is there any sort of
2: I think so it's it's, it's funny because we often have heard the term that and you, when you see a strong sale happens in in your area or in your backyard and 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 there's the the, the common theme comes across oh it's not worth that or they'll never be able to pay for it and then two months later we get another sale above that and then two months later we get another sale above that and it's almost and then they start saying oh I, w- I would have paid that but I, th- I think the the gross margin analysis is on um, the, the astute buyer is certainly working through those figures and we're seeing that happen maybe on the what their perceived value on a production basis and what maybe a, a local, what we might deem a, a local farmer might might uh, think is value or expensive might seem cheap if you're coming from another area where you're paying significantly higher for, for what might be, um, similar production levels. Uh, so, and we've seen that now starting to occur with the large number of out of area buyers that are buying in, in certain locations.
0: So, are they buying? Um you know, is that contextual? So is that contextual both nationally and internationally? So does the impact of, you know, the I know the perceived value of land in a particular area, both from another area in Western Australia or Australia, or from another country, does that? Ha- do you think that's having an impact on on the growth in land prices?
2: I think so because uh, some of the conversations we've been having, or being driven from our from our managers in in the various branches, is often casting a a um, an eye to say South Australia or Victoria, where where you think of a 400 millimetre rainfall zone is is significantly, probably nearly double what we're seeing even what we might think is a is a high value in the in a in a similar rainfall band in say Central Great Southern. So while scale comes into the the equation a bit when we're talking with some of the, the sales that are over east, the the value per hectare conversation can often dream, well, if it's at that level, are we just lagging behind and are we going to get to that level? So if that's the case, then maybe I should be jumping in now and, and grabbing it while I can. they are different markets and there's different parameters around there. If you think of the York Peninsula, um, they're, they're small chunks. They're small chunks of land. They're significantly priced bits of land, but they're not achieving that much higher yields on a production basis, say for a, a barley crop or a wheat crop, mm. but it's it's been underpinned by alternative markets like lentils, et cetera, that that bring into that, which I guess gets back to your gross margin. So there is some profitability there, but we're dealing with one hundred, <coughs> excuse me, one hundred or two hundred hectare chunks, not not a not sort of four hundred to a thousand hectare chunks. So
1: Ian in terms of you know drilling down into why we're seeing this expect the unexpected situation with land and lease prices going up i mean you, you've touched on the fact that there is this growing demand and wa land is cheaper in comparison to eastern states equivalent but what are some of the other drivers that you're you're seeing i mean in the past you know there's always been a strong correlation with commodity prices production levels and, and cost of finance yeah. you know I guess, can you go into some detail about what is actually driving the increases in cost of land and leases at the moment
2: the big that certainly that and we and we've heard a lot about the big three. You know, as you mentioned there, Kelly, the sort of commodity prices, seasonal conditions, interest rates. They've um, they're certainly the big factors there. I think we've got uh, we've got particularly at the moment we're just coming off for most areas a, a particularly strong season. The planets aligned in most areas for their for the, for the grain and we're particularly north of the state. So there's a significant amount of capacity, I suppose, in the market to to then keep looking and and buying more land what we saw interestingly enough the ongoing intention for for farmers to to, to buy land the the last um, Rabo bank confidence survey was in uh, I think they, re- they did the survey in February the results were released in March so it's not that far ago 88 percent of just got the, some of 88 percent of the farmers intending to um, to increase or maintain investments in their farming operations so there's that that sort of confidence to, to keep investing mm-hmm. And in, in addition to that, about 14%, we're looking to buy land in the next 12 months. And and whilst that number might seem a slightly small compared to some of the chatter we hear from a survey result, that's still the strongest in the country. The flip side to that is there is still some apprehensive about input costs and labour costs. And they're still probably in the back of most farmers' minds. And that's probably even since February We've seen a lot change in the, in the marketplace, haven't we? So that that might change some of the parameters as we go through the year. Just the other thing too, I mean, because of that, with the, with the lack of supply of good farms that are on there, so we're not seeing the farms come up. And one of the observations, probably we saw probably post harvest, was there was just a the higher number of sales, a higher number of farms that came to market really late in the season, and that was unusual. Like it's almost like seeding was upon us, and there was much properties that were coming up for sale, which I guess was probably a driver behind the prices were high, and maybe some of these uh, farm businesses were thinking, "Well, I'm going. To, it's going. What's it going to cost me to get this crop, or, or continue on this year, or, or is this the time?" Or their crystal ball said, "Well, you know, this is as good as it's going to get. And I'm going to make that decision." Some of them have been sold with delayed settlement, so we're seeing. Uh, that's happened too. Whilst the transaction's been done now, we're not expecting that farm to change hands until February, March next year. So that, that that sort of sort of weighed up a bit, so people had had the chance to get their ducks in a row before they buy that before that farm comes into the into their system.
0: Ian, do you think the large amount of you know that we we're seeing certainly from uh, our point of view, and Kelly was mentioning this earlier on before, there's there's a huge amount of people were leasing. Now and uh, leasing their properties out, and we're seeing maybe I don't know. You probably got a better view from the bank point of view. Uh, an increase in this trend is that reducing supply yes. in, in the market.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. Yes, it is. At the moment, if you've got significant amount of land in farmland, in call it your super fund as a farm owner, that will be your super fund when you ultimately retire it's a pretty handy investment why would you why would why would they liquidate it i'm saying that sort of flippantly but but it with with a growth rate of 30 to 50 percent say over the last two or three years and and lease rates are pretty handy to generate some cash flow so we're seeing the 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 retaining the land because of that underlying capital growth so that's that is contributing to the lack of supply for sure yeah
0: before it was just normal like especially in all of our age groups I'll, I'll put Ian and I into that bracket I don't know if I'll put Kelly into that bracket but it was pretty common for which one of the sibling one of the children to go home and farm mm. but now that's probably a lot less common so so if you don't have a I suppose a natural succession event so you, what you're seeing is a natural. So people are just saying, okay, well, we'll we don't want to farm anymore, so we'll just lease it out, mm. and it'll become our, our a really well earning super
2: farm. Yes, that, absolutely. I think that 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 is trend is out there. I think too, the um, and and that drives the, the leasing market, isn't it? And we're seeing uh, it's been for some time now, lease opportunities coming to tender, it, 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 and so there's a quite this uh, uh, demand for just trying to get leased land. It, people the new technologies, new cropping techniques, new grazing techniques, any the capacity to to generate more from less a lot of uh, businesses are, are geared up and and an extra thousand acres or a thousand hectares of, of production capacity is only two or three days work broadly for some. It's not not significant now they can just roll in the tractor and, and, and do an extra couple of days work and then they can they can get that area covered. So there's that enthusiasm to buy the lease corporate activity has also taken up quite a bit of land as well, I suppose, in some areas. Their sort of leasing arrangements have have generated that increase in demand as well.
1: So, Ian, in terms of leasing, and and certainly for my age group, in my mid-40s, it's a really uh, relevant expansion strategy rather than Mm. that risk mitigation of not expanding debt but potentially diversifying our location that we're able to farm. But what we are seeing, you know, our record record lease prices mm. in, and of, in and around mm. where we are, we're sort of talking over $100 an acre um, to the point that, you know, people might be putting in lease EOIs at levels that are, are not profitable or sustainable, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I guess that we've spoken about that decoupling of local production and and land prices that seems to be happening now. What's the bank's view on, on lease values increasing so much and you know how 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 do you view the risk of leases moving forward and you know encouraging your growers by increasing capital availability and things like that
2: It's an interesting question and and perhaps not so much the specifics of of where the bank views the leasing i guess it's still underpinning any any good credit application and and understanding the business and knowing what the i guess from from where I sit is when we see some of the uh, production or property information to, to get confidence in that, to what what is actually, what is capable of being produced. Is it realistic and, and the long-term trends and managing what it ultimately is, is, a, is a credit risk or a business risk uh, and how we go down that path. The, the lease, leasing question is, is always a tricky one too, because ultimately, what does the bank lend against? It lends against landed security that's owned by the, the borrower. Um, so the leasing reduces doesn't necessarily reduce the borrowing capacity I won't say that but it puts a little bit more focus on the capacity of the business to generate profit and then good businesses will always have access to finance and that's that's the nature of good businesses they 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 um they do they do the job well and and then they they will get funded but the leasing Scenario is a challenging one to deal with because of that underlying supply and then and that like you say those those values and we've heard some of those values and as as you go further east of Wikipedia as well and I'm sure you've sort of heard the heard the stories out there Kelly that there um there's some big numbers being paid to lease lease country that you think how are they going to really generate a profit out of that? There's not a lot has to go right to to make sure that happens, but then. The other side of the story is that FOMO about the market is, so, well, if I, if I get this, I'll lock it up, no one else has it, and, and I'm going to be first cab off the ranks to potentially negotiate a purchase if and when this property becomes available to purchase.
0: Ian, are you seeing that where this is maybe a view nationally or, and locally, but this slow movement towards a lot more European view, type of market where you've got people with lighter balance sheets but huge amounts of lease land mm-hmm. and... You know, so this sort of like you, you know, we end up with a, I suppose, a land owning group and a, a farm operating group, and the, you know, traditionally in Australia, I think they've always been the same group, and and now they're starting to not always be necessarily the same group. Is are we seeing trends in that direction
2: at all? Probably the leasing, and and it's probably where the corporates have probably had a bit of an impact in this in this area because when not all the corporate models are the same, but but one or two are certainly built around leasing and, and offering large tracts of leasing to local farmers to, as part of their business model. And that generates great opportunity for for, for farmers who have that chance to, to grab those parcels in, uh, to get scale but doesn't come without some some sort of risk, I suppose, just because of the large numbers and, and, and business risk, if that lease wasn't to be there, what does that business then do in three or five years time if if that lease is no longer available? Um, but that's all part of that. It gets back to that business risk case as to how the business is set up and, and to what level they can do it. It's making use of the capital that's available. And if that's in land or it's in equipment, or is it or is the capital the, uh, the, the actual, the personal factor, sometimes we refer to, is is actually the big resource. It's the it's the individuals and the business model itself, not necessarily the big tractor or the big acres. It's it's actually the person that's behind the tr- behind the business that's actually the the key to the whole thing.
0: That's a really good point, and most people underestimate that. So mm-hmm. when when people are seeking funding from anywhere, they often think, "Oh, well, this is how big my balance sheet is, and this is the equity I have, and and I can go." But um, there's not often. I, I probably there is at a bank level, but uh, there's probably not enough discussion around management capacity. Mm-hmm. The, the the actual ability to one product from a production point of view have the talent and the skill to to deliver, but also from a financial management capacity, the ability to manage that risk and the finances and the, that around that. And do you think the that uh, The business acumen, all that financial management ability, is becoming more into the fore as people start taking on those um, bigger models, those different types of models.
2: I think so, Um, and you're seeing too that the upskilling, I suppose, of of everyone in agriculture, from whether from the from the farm gate all through the the um, the capacity and the willingness to learn and to learn more. And there's without sounding it too simple i mean the agricultural industry is this massive sponge and everyone seems to be absorbing it seeking and, and gathering and wanting to to soak up as much information as possible because ultimately it's a big asset base and they're trying to generate as much profit off off a defined whatever's inside the boundaries that's what you've got and you've got to maximize what you can out of it so yeah i think it's it's an interesting interesting point
0: yeah definitely I was having another conversation the other day, and it was around the, the view of um, Australian land farmland from an international point of view, and you mentioned those corporates, these, these large funds from outside of Australia looking to park what is mm. a good investment, right, because Australian land has traditionally got a very good return on mm-hmm. capital. So... The context, and the, I think they were mentioning that Australia's um, land price, especially West Australia, per tonne harvested was some of the cheapest in the world. Do you think that will drive more and more of those big funds into Australian land purchases, or are you seeing that already?
2: Comes and goes. A lot depends on the actual, from what we can gather, um, is is what the actual strategy of that fund is. And we've seen big transactional changes such as the Lawson Grains transaction recently, along mostly along the south coast, but that incorporated land over east as well. There seems to be one or more entity or corporate type entity or, or a large enough individual who essentially has the capacity of a corporate entity. They might choose to or seem to be choosing to aggregate. We've seen that recently in the Pingrup area. One particular buyer has been quite active and, and aggregating. They, they weren't there really 12 to 18 months ago and they've aggregated quite a number of farms and it seems to be that motivation that once they've put a foot down then they'll try and make sure and whether they've done their due diligence a long time before to say well this is where we think we're going to get best buy for our dollar and aggregate more hectares and convert what might have been a 50-50 type mixed farming operation into mostly although they end up being 100 percent cropping. There seems to be that it's almost like the premiums that are being paid whether they can when they can aggregate for scale. Traditionally you, you keep thinking, oh, small lower hectares, higher value per hectare. But sometimes in those larger scale transactions, if they get the chance to aggregate, then they'll pay for it. Not that I don't think they're the bottomless checkbook and just because a corporate comes knocking on someone's door that you're gonna get your million dollar of win and, and all that. But they certainly are they're smart cookies when they do their due diligence pretty thoroughly about where they're going to invest. Definitely.
1: So in terms of aggregation, I mean, you know, there's, there's certainly this feeling now that with land prices and lease prices, it's sort of squeezing out, sometimes local farmers squeezing out the young families and the younger generation that want to either get into farming or expand and that get bigger or get out theory. Uh, are you? How, how does Rabo view succession and how does Rabo view youth and communities in your, your investment and capital strategies moving forward?
2: Certainly, I mean Rabo. Rabo's is a hundred-plus-year bank in agriculture, so it's it's it sort of goes. It's gone through its own sort of succession planning and, and et cetera over the time through its journey and its and its origins as a as a as a, a small Dutch cooperative and now one of the largest agribusiness lenders in the world. Succession planning is a strength, I believe from the bank as far as their future in agriculture and their willingness to invest. There's uh, examples, I suppose, within the bank where they have uh, groups like, such as a, a client council, which is which is a number of uh, individuals that are providing external input to the bank as to what they feel is important at a community level. And succession so planning is, is often a, a key point of that to try and drive that the future of farming is is in the next generation and, and facilitating the skill set as well as just funding those those uh, next generation into into farms is is important but it's not the be all and end all it's it's that's that community is a thing that um is very important to the bank
1: so Ian, in terms of you know you, we've seen capital growth and return on investment you, you've said 30 to 50 percent and capital growth somewhere in that 10 to 20 percent over the last five to ten years and you know this is four times the residential investment mm. in the city where, where, as a bank, are you seeing, you know, that compound growth return on investment going over the next five to 10 years? Are we starting to hit a plateau? Are we, with rising interest rates, are we going, we'll come back to interest rates, but are we mm. going to keep seeing? like
2: When you see the historical charts and, and at one or two field days that myself and, and my colleagues have been presenting and we keep bringing up charts or from, you can merit, compare it to other commodity classes, it's such a, a good, solid investment. Class, it just it's resilient to to market shocks. We, we, if um, if Trump, when he was in office, put out a Twitter message and the stock market fell by twenty percent, land didn't move. Those sorts of things were were quite it's been significant. The, the GFC and those sorts of real large economic shifts may be, but generally that the. the the, the volatility the lack of volatility is is been quite solid I don't think that will change greatly even through historical times that there might be a few little it but it doesn't doesn't drop it's not dropping I don't think so
0: Ian if you're looking at um, land as an asset class whether you're a farmer or you're an investor or you in most cases you're both, if you're borrowing money at what is still a fairly historically Mm. low rate and you're getting those 5 know, 10% type returns, which is better than probably anything else you can get anywhere else, is there now a strong element of it's just whether you farm it or not, it's just a good, if you can afford to, I suppose, not lose money on it, it's just a good investment period. Mm. Plus, does that influence, again, the prices that people are paying because there's such a good return on capital invested here?
2: I guess the where that ultimately probably gets the, if we've got the large Superfund-based corporate entities, so that's where our Superfund money is going and they're ultimately investing in some of those farmland assets. So they're competing with the mums and dads and the locals in those areas. So we're seeing that. So it is uh, probably more indirectly. I don't think someone, we're not seeing too much evidence of someone in central metropolitan area just deciding to go out into the middle of, Near Wickham and decide to buy a farm because that's what they want to put their super fund into. We're not seeing that, but indirectly, I think that's happening through through just because of the nature of the corporate involvement. But it's 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 not to say that it isn't happening because there is one or two situations where where we see the sale and we have a look at it and then we we drill drill down and then it, the actual background of the buyer is 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 non farming related and and may have had a. A relationship to to a neighbour or, or someone else in the area. And, and so they've provided the funding as a good investment and provided the opportunity to lease it to someone they know. So we see that occasionally as well.
0: Yeah, we've seen a few. Um, I did an interview with a, um, a farmer um, from Victoria and he had an interesting model. So he has investors into his his farming enterprise outside of agriculture. so people who want in um and I've got a few friends in Perth who are doing the same. so they' mm-hmm. they've got I suppose mm-hmm. a farmer who is the primary producer. Mm-hmm. but like you said they're they're not in agriculture but they're they're providing capital. Um, because it is such a good return on Mm -hmm. investment. Yep. Yeah. So it's interesting for evolution that that maybe the urban part of um, Australia is getting back into agriculture just because it's a good way to make money.
2: (laughs) Well, you think either, Mark, when we're at uni, Dave, you think of how many – the connection between – rural the metro was quite strong it, there was it was mm. everyone had a cousin or everyone in perth i'm saying that broadly everyone in perth had a cousin on a farm somewhere so there was always that or well, someone went to a farm with the holidays because the uh, uncle or nephew niece cousin whatever it was there was that connection and that's got further and further apart it's not as as pronounced and and common out there as it was but maybe that's cutting like say maybe that's just Starting to come back a bit as as this it becomes a bit more becomes more clearer that it's a very reliable investment asset.
0: Yeah, I think the unis are seeing a big uptick in enrollment too. Mm. So maybe agriculture is getting pretty sexy again. Mm. You know,
2: well it was the wool boom when we it was a long time ago now, don't?
0: Yeah, no wool, wool boom. Those are those are the good old yeah. days. <laughs> Yeah, a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Mm. I remember leaving uh, university thinking, wow, this farming thing's an easy game mm. and then the reserve price crashed mm. and it became pretty tough it was up. Pretty
2: though. tough there for a while.
0: <laughs> it was. And I think every every farm business listening has been through a similar journey, whether it be grain or wool or whatever they grow. Mm. It's um, That's agriculture, isn't it? It is. You know?
1: Going to say, speaking about cost price squeezes and things that are going to impact us, should we move on to talking about the, uh, the news of the week, rising interest rates and, you know, an impact on, on property sales and land prices and what it means for those that are already heavily invested? Two questions.
2: <laughs> for this week, it's it's a very topical question and probably will continue to be, I suppose, as as we progressively move what now appears to be an upcycle. It's it's hit the bottom and it's moved on. I think speaking sort of broadly and, and my gut feel is i It's going to take multiple events to try and take the real heat out of this market, not forgetting that we've seen a large number of transactions, some very big, big numbers being required to purchase farms throughout the state, competitive finance industry. And my general thoughts is that a big, big amount of that is already taken advantage of the opportunity to fix in rates at the time of purchase or leading up to that. So I I think the, the cost of funds it certainly is, is significant and will and will be significant. And as the variable comp- component of anyone's financial package starts to kick in, it will be, be significant. But I think it'll take some time for those fixed options to sort of filter through and mature. And maybe when that money starts to come back on the market, exposed to the variable market, that might be the period that we'll see a bit of a, a rethink or as as those periods start to come up, for maturity than maybe some of those larger businesses or or certainly those that have exposure to, to the variable market will make that change.
1: Will variable and fixed loans merge closer? You know, fix the, the rates, do you think?
2: Or oh, it's probably that's probably one that's probably probably for one of my country banking colleagues, probably more so to answer than me, but I think one of the one of the impacts that we've if you think historically uh, there's there's farmers still out there that were probably exposed to 15, 18, 20 percent interest rates mm. which none of well, certainly me as, as an individual have never experienced. Farms were still being purchased over that period. if you think of even as recently as I think 2005, 2008 was I have to check where where, the, where we were in the cycle, but there was periods where where rates have certainly been higher. And, and pretty high relative to today's rates, and yet farms were still being purchased. I think what it it, it, it may take some of the heat out of it, but I don't. my sort of probably speaking individually, uh, I, I don't believe it'll it'll take more than interest rates. I think to do it. I think it'll be probably drought. I'm not going to talk a season out of how to kill but it it could be planets might have to line up as far as commodity prices and as well as uh, seasonal conditions and if you get those line up then maybe that will that will probably do it perhaps.
0: So you so, so you're saying Ian, in, in unless you're inc- highly leveraged and even with you know the markets I think we're speculating continue rises through the next what to 24 mm-hmm. 18 months um Unless you're highly leveraged, if the numbers are still adding up and you're still having good seasons, it, it's, it'll it'll have an impact, but not as big as we like to think it might.
2: Yeah. Well, that, I think that's a general observation. Yeah, I think the good businesses seem to be able to generate money, whether it's a drought or a or not. It's 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 or it creates those opportunities where where those uh, you think of. Sometimes there's those transactions that happen. You think, how does that work? Because of the seasonal conditions, but the, the people that, take, well. It depends where their risk profile is and where the risk profile is of, the, of their funding. The bank of choice might might not have the same risk profile, but that that's okay. It's it work whatever the business model is working, and it's it's an asset that's it's almost a in this this market. Uh, albeit we're talking hypothetically about a situation where it might be, but at the moment land is more liquid than it historically has been you can you see that they, they come onto the market as a expressions of interest or an auction and then there's a mad fight of um of people trying to put their offers in place to try and make sure it doesn't go get to auction and 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 quite often we see outcomes where we uh a week or two out from the auction we get the notification that it's been sold or it's under offer it's not taking long to sell farms mostly
0: yeah it's actually, it's, I mean, this, I mean, all these are uh, obviously challenges. And, and like you said, you know, good financial management, and business management is all, all, you know, underpins all of this. But it's actually, it's great to see good news stories throughout. I mean, the fact that everything is booming mm-hmm. is, I think, good for everyone in ag regardless. You've yep. just got to be, you know, sharp and good with your numbers and know what you're doing, really, don't you? It is. Mm. Yep.
2: Just do, 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 do it's like, whether you're growing a wheat crop or whether you're, Putting in a thousand acres of pasture for the for for your sheep, it's it's your due, due diligence and what what's actually what is the what is the profit? What's what is going to be the driver here that's going to make me money? Um, and don't and try and avoid the the pub talk about what you hear on on marketplace and, and understand actually well how, how much did that farm sell for? Because there's a lot of noise gets chatted when when something doesn't actually emerge. There's a lot of guesswork made about what a particular price a farm. Uh, has made, and then sometimes there's big surprises at the end of the day when it comes out.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point um, to to really finish up on. Ian is that no matter what land prices are doing, or what you think anyone else in the district is doing, you're saying, look, at the end of the day, you've got to do your own due mm. diligence. You've got to do your own numbers. You've got to you've got to know that you have the ability to make money off this investment, not just because mm. you've seen it happen somewhere else. Mm. So. And I'm sure from a bank point of view, you want to see a good set of numbers anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um.
2: <laughs> well, the banks always like a good set of numbers, you know that? But yes, time and time again is is when you and 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 we uh, where I sit in in my role, get the opportunity to to see a transaction early. if If it's one of our customers that have been involved on either side of the ledger of, of a of a transaction, we get to see that. If it's negotiated in say the spring and it's settling in the March, we know all, we're all over that transaction in the spring period, so we're starting to factor that into our sort of decision making on on trends and where where we think land values are going. So we get that heads up before uh, someone who doesn't have access to that at the time until that until it's settled and it's on the public register. Those sorts of things, uh, whilst we don't obviously don't dis- disclose those numbers. It's important, it's an example of, of having market intelligence and, and once, once that uh, number is in the, in the public domain, then making sure that farmers or whoever's using that information is, is analysing it appropriately to make sure that, well, if we're going to consider what is the market value in, in our area, what has been happening, deal with the real numbers and not the pub talk and it's really quite important, I can't stress that enough
0: yeah definitely that's great you know deal with the real numbers not the pub talk do your numbers people it's good for yourself and it's good for getting money in the end so it's uh, so ian, to finish off on we always like to finish off on a question and that's Uh-oh. um every, every, everyone we talk to is uh obviously always intimately involved in ag and you've been in your whole life like kelly and i have so when you're not involved in ag what does ian do so what are you interested in outside of ag ian, and what how do you spend your time
2: well, if you ask my wife, all I do is spend my dime on a bike, and I am actually, I do, I, yes, I'm a, I'm a mammal. I <laughs> squeeze myself into the lycra and squeezed it into, into it this morning. Uh, yes, yeah, so cycling. Cycling is my, uh, my um, leisure activity, uh, uh, whether it be gravel or road, uh, one of those road warriors. And, uh, yeah, do uh, a fair bit of that when I can, which is reasonably often early mornings, seeing the it's dark and cold in Albany at the moment, and uh, and see a bit of that. No, that's
0: right. So if you're driving along a a road down in Albany at early hours of the morning, just, you know, stay a metre away from me on either side. Correct.
2: That's right. (laughs) I was on a gravel road. Just slow down and don't dust me.
0: (laughs) Very good. All right, Ian, from behalf of Kelly and I, thank you very much for this conversation. I think that, you know, both Kelly and I and anyone listening to this, it would learn a hell of a lot today and um, I look forward to catching up with you next time, whether it be online like this or at the next event. Brilliant. So
2: thanks, Ian. Thank you. Thank you very much for the time and, and I enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
0: As always, if you'd like to know more about Agrimaster Farm Business Management Software and Services, you can find us at www.agrimaster.com.au or find us on twitter linkedin facebook and instagram if you like this episode please share it on social media or directly with a friend and let's make farm business great
2: together